Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... This is Kevin O'Brien of EWTN's Theater of the Word. I'm excited also to teach middle school and high school literature, speech, and drama with homeschoolconnections.com, an online Catholic curriculum provider. Your student can meet with me online for a live, interactive class. Whether you take apologetics with John Martinoni or grade school with Jackie De La Viaga, or any of the other 400-plus courses with homeschoolconnections.com, online Catholic learning for your homeschooling family is available for you. This episode is brought to you by Hallow, the number one Catholic app. Hallow has 1,000 audio-guided prayers and meditations for you to deepen your relationship with God. To listen to all of the Hallow meditations for free for 30 days, head to hallow.com slash breadbox. Welcome to Beneath the Surface. Paul Morano here with my guest, Mr. Bob LeBlanc, here to, um, to host another show of the Creed, number 13, which is on the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. And here on Beneath the Surface, where faith and reason meets, we are in the middle of our series on the Creed. We're on episode number 13 which is about the resurrection of Jesus. Can't wait to delve into it and to delve beneath the surface with you. And our guest, Mr. Bob LeBlanc. Bob, welcome to BTS. Thank you for having me, Paul. Good. Glad to have you. <laughs> uh, this, this is, a uh, again, uh, show number 13 in a particular series that we're doing called The Creed Beneath the Surface. So let's delve in to on the third day, Bob, on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. Okay. You know, St. Paul says, you know, if it's, if not for the resurrection, our faith is in vain. I mean, this Absolutely. is, this is not only the central point of the creed, but the central point of Christianity. Right, right. I mean, the crucifixion had to be gone through, the crucifixion and death had to be done in order to set up the punchline here of the resurrection. Yeah, um, I mean, this is what um, this is where our hope lies uh, in the resurrection right. of the dead. If there was no, if Jesus didn't conquer death and then rise from the dead, and then, you know, invite us to do the same by His power and grace, where would our hope be right now? It wouldn't make any sense. It would just be another cute little philosophy, uh, moral kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So let's. Uh, why, why don't we start with that notion that Christ conquered death? Uh, I mean, th there's so many angles you can, you, can, you can look at here with the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I think this is one of the most powerful, the notion that he conquered death. What, death wasn't part of God's original plan for humanity, was it? Well, uh, according to Genesis, uh, it seems like we, that we were meant uh, as rational beings we were meant to have uh, be immortal and in fact uh, the church teaches that we have immortal souls uh, the death of the body or the death being the separation of the soul and the body was not something that was intended by god um, yeah now, now when you say we have immortal souls i think we need to be really clear on this because uh, this is where you know there are some places in the faith where people are particularly fuzzy i, I think this is one of them if the soul is naturally immortal, 
In other words, it's spiritual, it's not physical, therefore it can't decompose and, and die like the body does. Then it survives bodily death. However, as Aquinas teaches us, you can't figuratively point to a, a disembodied spiritual soul and say that is the person. Correct, correct. Because why, why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? Well, I'm not sure if I can elaborate much. Um, we... We, we can only really point to a person as the combination or the union of the body and soul. It's because um, we're, not, we're, not, we're not pure spiritual beings like angels. Right. We are body-soul composites, yes? Yes, we're meant to be in time. The, in, in, in philosophical terms, uh, the matter part of our body or the, you know, the body part is the part that experiences change. Yes. That's what puts us in time. Right. So we ex this is entirely part of our experience to experience change to experience time uh, we have the senses where we can observe things that are changing um, and how we interact with each other through those senses uh, and so, so we're so not all of these are uniquely and and essentially human all these things that you're saying that we're bodily creatures we're we're sensual creatures well, I mean, animals are, are sensual creatures as well, but they're not yeah. sentient creatures. Um, they're not. Uh, they're not rational beings. Uh, so we we have we have we are a combination of spiritual, which means we're like the mm. angels, right. but we're also animals as well, and we're yeah. like other animals. We experience right. as other animals do. So we are that, in a sense, that bridge step on the ontological ladder towards God between animals and angels because we're bodily like animals and we're spiritual like angels. In one sense, we're the bridge between heaven and earth. That's how God created us. Correct. Now, now my point though is that you can't say the person survives bodily death. You can only say the soul survives right. bodily death. That, that's that's an, a very important distinction because a lot of people think, well, the person survives bodily death and that's all there is to it. You live forever as a spiritual entity and that's how it was meant to be that's that's not how it's going to be well that's that's the discussion we'll have at the end of the creed yeah. uh, uh that promise but uh um this the reason why we hope for that promise is this line here because um because jesus did defeat death in his resurrection yeah but in the meantime those who die their disembodied soul, there's this, the spiritual right. components of them, which isn't fully them, but it's their spiritual components, lives on, faces God, uh, goes through the particular judgments, all of that that we've talked about earlier, and is, in a, in a sense, incomplete, an incomplete human being, because the disembodied soul, whether that soul is in heaven, hell, or purgatory, anticipates the resurrection of the body because they are an incomplete uh, being at that point. Correct. All right. So I got that straight? You do. Uh, you <laughs> said, <laughs> well, you said more than I would say, I'll put it that way. Now, this notion, though, that Jesus comes and conquers death. So he doesn't conquer something in which it says, okay, Jesus died from the dead, uh, rose from the dead. Therefore, our souls can go on to either heaven or, you know, God forbid, hell. Because right. that, that would happen anyway. God, what Jesus did is he conquered death in his resurrection uh, wholly and fully so that we may become whole human beings again, body and soul. Yes? Well, yes. Um, 
there's there's I think there's more to it than that. Um, there's there's this idea here uh, that you brought you brought up before about uh, being reunited with our bodies. Um, but this there's this um, and the idea as well that um, this state of things that we're in right now where we experience death is not a permanent thing. Um, mm. And so we we look forward to Jesus in the promise that we will get we will be we will be reunited to our bodies again. And this is an interesting thing because we see Jesus bringing people rising people from the dead. So this is not not necessarily unique from one standpoint. It is unique in another standpoint. And I'll I'll say that right now. Jesus rose himself from the dead. It wasn't the action of somebody else uh, uh, bringing up uh, the body like Lazarus. Lazarus is another, you know, ex perfect example in scripture. Yeah. Uh, Jesus called him out of the tomb and Lazarus uh, walked right out. And then there's the, uh, the, the, I guess the sick uh, child. Uh, he, he told the, called her by name and the, and she awoke from her death. Um, but these yeah. are all done by Jesus. They're done. Right. And, and so there's a key point here in this resurrection that points to something very, very different. And it yeah. talks about Jesus having the power of God. Uh, yeah. In, yeah. And, and I, I think that you also brought up another important point that needs to be mentioned. That, and that is the, the difference between resurrection and resuscitation. Correct. Whereas those who Jesus healed... And, and rose from the dead, like Lazarus, uh, were resuscitated. They they didn't go through the resurrection process. They're not glorified. They they simply come back to life in their mortal in their mortal being. And of course, Lazarus again was going to die eventually. Uh, but on the last day, uh, we will be the re the resurrection will be in the form and likeness of Christ's resurrection. Which is glorified body and 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 uh, you know very very different than our you know physical bodies that we have now. Even though they are the, they are those bodies, but they're going to be transformed and glorified in such a way that's beyond our imagination. There's there's two points I, I guess I would like to make here at this okay. at this time. One, this is also a historical event. In last show, I talked about the crucifixion being agreed on as a historical event. Well. Christians claim that the resurrection is a historical event. There are certain kind of uh, Christian, I will put that in, uh, in scare quotes, uh, that claim that, that this was only a spiritual resurrection or maybe maybe the, the apostles or the disciples thought that Jesus was erected. It was maybe some sort of uh, vision of some sort. Uh, the Christian claim is that this was a historical event. This actually happened in history. It wasn't an illusion. It was a very, very real thing that happened. And that's why we believe that Jesus is the son of God. I mean, this is the basis, the, the witness of, of the disciples. See, they saw all the miracles, but this is a very, very unique miracle um, in all of history. Yeah, even Jesus um, attested to that, that it was a very special miracle, because whenever he spoke about, you know, you people want a sign, um, you know, you will be given the sign of Jonah. And, and what was the sign of Jonah? Well, he came back to life after three days being in the belly of the whale, 
And Jesus says, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale, the son of the man, son of man will be in the belly of the earth. And on the third day, he will rise again and become like, so, so the, everything that it seems that Jesus did uh, pointed to his resurrection. And finally, when he rose from the dead, if you remember an era, uh, on the road to Emmaus and in other yes. scenes and other scenes, it's like, bingo. It's like, yes, that's what he's talking about. He's actually going to come back again in, in a glorified form. Well, there's, it's a very, that's one of my favorite stories is, is, is the road to Emmaus. And I'm sure it's a favorite of everybody. Um, the disciples, they don't recognize Jesus at first, which points to something different about this resurrected body that Jesus has. They don't recognize him, but they do recognize him in the breaking of the bread. Now, people who understand what's going on with the baking, breaking of the bread understand that Jesus is celebrating what we would call in the Latin church a mass. The He's mass, celebrating yeah. the mass, the Eucharist. Um, this is exactly what's happening, and that's why they recognize Jesus. He does all the things. He, he takes the bread. He blesses it. He breaks it. And you, know what, you know what's but, interesting about that, Bob? Before that, he's speaking the truth to them, which is his word yes. on the road to Emmaus. So. So you have the liturgy, the word there, and then you have the liturgy, the Eucharist, when they break the bread. So yeah, you've got, you've got both sides of the mass there. Well, in this particular uh, line of the creed, it says in accordance with the scriptures. And Jesus is explaining the scriptures to them because beforehand, the disciples were really weren't putting it all together. Right. Uh, and, and so Jesus really has to explain how he is the fulfillment of the scriptures, uh, yes. what we would call the Old Testament. Yeah, yeah. And gosh, we could do a whole show on typology, but we won't because we don't have much time. But yeah, not only did everything Jesus do and say uh, was directly or indirectly uh, pointing to the resurrection, but virtually everything in the Old Testament and the, the persons and the events that were pointing to Jesus and ultimately his resurrection. Well, you so, gave one. You gave one sign of this with the sign of Jonah. Yeah. Which, which is uh, something in accordance with the scriptures. He rose in three days. Yeah. And and so there. I don't know if you want to go through multiple examples of of uh, fulfillment of scripture or not, but that's just one example of that happening. Yeah. Uh, a fulfillment of scripture. Yeah, and um, and, and Jesus, you know, uh, well, we we we'll save that for another show. But okay. the, the notion that he conquered death, mm -hmm. he, he rose bodily from the dead. Correct. You know, a lot of people, they understand, they, they celebrate Easter. But I don't think that sinks into a whole lot of Christians, that this isn't simply a spiritual resurrection. He rose bodily. Right. There, there, there's in Luke, it's, he, he asks for a piece of fish, and he eats the piece he of fish. He eats the fish. He is so, bodily. He is bodily, and and then he and doubting Thomas, who will never live down that that phrase of him doubting, yeah. because he didn't witness the first uh, appearance of the resurrection in the upper room, but later on, and Jesus goes here, feel my the the hole in my side, the hole in my my hands, mm. see that I've actually risen from the dead. I am the resurrection. And, and this is coming from the, the, the Jesus who was on the cross, um, you know, on uh, the, the Friday beforehand, who, whose entire 
body's blood drained from him. He was definitely dead. Uh, and then he, you know, he stands there and he says, you know, here, touch my hands, touch my side. So that shows us how bodily he is. But on the other hand, and there's always a both ends in our, yes. in our, in our faith. <laughs> on the other hand, Jesus' risen body could do things that no earthly body could possibly do. And so the, he goes through a scene, locked door. Yeah. In, the, in the scene that you just mentioned, uh, you know, the, where the Jews, where, where the apostles were for fear of the Jews, St. John says, Jesus appeared in their midst through the locked door and said, peace be to you. The door was locked. How did he get in? We don't know. Apparently, he, apparently walls were no obstacle for the risen Jesus. Now, of course, they thought they, they thought he might have been a ghost because he walked through a wall. But no, yes. he was fully bodily in in, in, in not being limited by the laws of physics that we're limited by now. It and, is interesting. It is interesting, yeah. Paul, that uh, they, they in the in the part in Luke where they say they thought he was a ghost. Yeah. And immediately Jesus says, oh, that fish over there, why don't you hand me that fish so I can eat it? Yes. So as to say, no, you're definitely wrong. You're not seeing a ghost here. You were actually seeing a substantial body. You know, you can right. touch it. So the resurrection tells us both of those things that seem like a contradiction, but they're not. They're a paradox. That what was risen is Jesus and his and the normal, regular Jesus's body. And at the same time, that normal Jesus's earthly body was transformed and glorified in a way that we don't or we can't fully understand yet and the the idea christians understand is that this is a model for what those who are saved are going to be like for all eternity just like jesus's risen glorified state so too will be those in heaven yes yes uh and maybe we ought to solidify this because it, it's implied but uh this resurrected body will not experience death. And right. I, you said it before, with Lazarus, Lazarus was, was, was he, he was raised from the dead, but it was, it was a, a, a resuscitation. It was yeah. not a resurrection. And so Lazarus was going to die, yeah. but in the resurrection, death is defeated. It no longer will have any power over. Right. So not only is the soul immortal like it was anyway created by god right now the body is immortal with the soul after the resurrection and so there there will be no suffering never mind death there will be no suffering there will be no concupiscence there will be no death as well for we, those in heaven for those in heaven exactly and uh what, what we'll talk about of course at the end of the creed is how that applies to us and and, and and that it applies to those who aren't going to heaven also the resurrection not the glorification but the resurrection itself the, the reunion of body and soul that'll be an interesting show paul <laughs> yeah i wonder if you're going to be the guest we'll see we'll see where that uh lasts um okay so then um let's see fulton sheen had a, an interesting quote in uh, the world's first love and that is this there are two bodies in heaven, the one glorified human nature of Jesus and the other assumed human nature of Mary. A couple of things to say about this. Number one, something you already mentioned. Jesus rose from the dead by his own power. Mary was assumed by God from the dead. Uh, 
never mind. Don't, I didn't say from the dead. Yeah. Because, because we don't know whether she died or not. We know she did not decay. So Mary was assumed into heaven by the power of God. So was Jesus, but of course Jesus was God. And so what I find interesting about this line, though, is the different wordage that Fulton Sheen uses, and I want your opinion on it. He says, these two bodies are the glorified human nature of Jesus and the assumed human nature of Mary. He doesn't say glorified with Mary. Is there a difference between the risen state and the glorified state? Um, well, I think, I think we're, this is something that will be touched on at the end. Um, there, there is, uh, there, I think there will be at the end, after the final judgment, there will be uh, human bodies who are now immortal, but will not be in glorified bodies. But I don't think Fulton Sheen is saying that um, yeah. here, uh, because uh, we also believe as Catholics that Mary is the queen of heaven and earth. Right. Uh, um, and so, uh, and we also believe that people in heaven uh, receive glorified bodies. Uh, so, but I think he's, he's, he's stressing something here um, that, that it's through the power of Jesus or power of God that Mary is brought into heaven. We, we don't make it on our own. And I think we talked about it in the, the last show. Mm. Nobody right. to heaven on their own power. Um, it's interesting that uh, you brought up the, the you, you kind of stumbled over the death part of, of Mary. Right. And, and the, the Catholic Church is actually a t accepts two opinions on that. Uh, one is, is that she actually did die uh, as her son died. Uh, the other one is is uh, is could be mean death, but might not mean death. That Mary fell asleep. The dormition um, is the way the Eastern Catholics talk about it, which leaves open whether she died or or merely fell asleep. Yeah, the kind of deep sleep that Adam was in when when Eve was taken from him. Right, right. Yeah, interesting. That that's a mystery. Um, it is. But I'll tell you what. I want to bring up one more mystery here, and that okay. is. The notion of time after this life. Okay. And, and the reason I say this is because we think of, at least if we were to use our imaginations, which are faulty and finite, we would imagine Jesus and Mary in their bodies as bodily, risen, risen fully and bodily uh, in heaven. And then all the other saints in heaven are simply disembodied souls. Obviously, this is impossible to imagine. We sort of just conceptualize this notion. That right. until the general resurrection, everyone in heaven, except for Jesus and Mary, are disembodied spirits, uh, which is kind of interestingly <laughs> almost awkward, at least in the imagination. Uh, but then, then the question is, well, what is, how do we conceptualize time after this life? Um, you know, in other words, there are some schools of thought that would say, and I'm, I don't think that I'm one of them, but but it's, it's interesting to think about. It would say, as soon as the individual dies here on earth, that they are taken to the future where the resurrection of the body occurs here on earth. So there won't be any interim time between death and resurrection. Um, or maybe I, they don't experience time. Or that. Yeah. But, other, but others would say that they need to have some semblance of the same kind of time that we have because if they simply go from the moment of death to the resurrection of the body in history into the future, then when we pray for saints' intercessions, who are we praying to if 
if they're already in the future and it gets yeah. a little it gets a little back to the future-ish which uh, seems to contradict reason yeah I, I I'm, I'm with you Paul I think um, our, our our human souls are meant for human bodies they are meant to be together so our human souls are meant to experience time after some sort of fashion um, and uh, you know we, we talked about uh, um, Jesus rising from the dead um, there, there is also this fulfillment of scripture uh, in Psalm 16 uh, which talks about a, a prophecy uh, that's being fulfilled by the resurrection he will he will not experience corruption yeah just like um, Mary didn't yeah, as, yeah just like Mary didn't but I think this is also true of our glorified bodies um, they will not experience corruption that sort of change will be uh, <coughs> something that we can't experience even though I think we will still experience time it with our bodies somehow corruption is not going to be one of those changes that we experience right and I can't wrap my mind around that because it's in this material world we're in right now corruption is one of the changes that we have to yeah. face um, yeah yeah and it seems like the the body that we have now it doesn't seem like it it definitely is um tailored to our earthly existence we, yeah. we have stomachs for food we have procreative uh faculties for for repro reproduction we have uh you know um, i mean everything within us relates to this earthly life and it's 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 you know held down in, in a way that uh, that that understands or, or that obeys gravity um everything about it is is for this temporal earthly life so when it's glorified how can we what kind of body will it be and what what, what form or shape it's it's something interesting to try to speculate on right i think it goes beyond our our imagination i think uh saint paul is is correct um that that we view uh the future in heaven, you know, through a, a glass darkly, which he which he means that we don't have a very clear vision mm. of what's going to happen in heaven. I'm glad you mentioned St. Paul, because this sort of just ties into what I was just saying. On the one hand, Jesus appeared to the people in the road to Emmaus and to his disciples in the upper room uh, in his human form. He looks like the earthly Jesus. Um, on the other hand, he was when St. Paul was knocked to the ground, whether it be whether he was on a horse or not, when he was knocked to the ground, he was knocked to the ground by a beam of light, yes. which, which I assume was Jesus. So, yes. so, so the risen Jesus, it seems, if you put two and two together, may be able to make himself into any form he wants to be. And perhaps that's what the risen state of all the saved one day will be like. Well, this is this is interesting because this I call I would call what St. Paul saw is an apparition of Jesus, because after after Jesus ascended into heaven, mm. which is this is after that point in time, uh, I think this is probably the first recorded apparition of Jesus. Uh, there's certainly apparitions after um, um, mm. this point in time. And so people have seen the risen Jesus and they have seen apparitions of Mary who uh, was uh, assumed into heaven. And so some way, somehow our glorified bodies are able to come back and visit earth yeah. uh, and, and appear to certain people. 
Yeah, and, and in different ways. Like, in different uh, ways. Like Mary, the glorified body of Mary, or the resurrected body of Mary, came back to um, people in Mexico in the 16th century as an Indian woman. Right. She, uh, she goes to Europe and she speaks to children as a European-looking woman. Um, you know, in Africa, I, I don't know for sure, but she may have had darker skin. So, right. so the glorified Jesus and Mary could probably turn to whatever they want to at will. We can't, we can't do right that right now. I can't change my looks at will. When yeah, I, yeah, when it I does seem, yeah, it does seem to be interesting that, uh, you know, like we mentioned before, that the, the disciples did not recognize the, recogn uh, the re resurrected Jesus at first. Yeah. Um, that happened yeah. for with Mary Magdalene. Uh, she goes, she yeah. thinks that Jesus is the gardener. Um, yeah. I was about to mention that. Uh, there's a lot to say on that little scene, but what do you think is the reason Jesus said, don't touch me for I have yet to send, uh, I have yet to ascend to my father. Um, I no, I'm not sure if I really understand the reasoning behind that. Um, because he, 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 in other instances, he goes to St. Thomas and says, go ahead and touch me. Right. Um, right. And, and so I don't know why he can't touch Mary Magdalene, uh, where he invites St. Thomas to touch him. I think it might have something to do with the symbolization um, of Jesus and Saint it's Jesus and Mary Magdalene there as as uh, a, a fulfillment of Adam and Eve in the Old Testament, because she thought he was the gardener. What was the first Adam? Uh, well, he was supposed to be the gardener. He was supposed to be Eden. the gardener. So here's Mary Magdalene after the resurrection, thinking that Jesus, the risen Jesus, was the gardener, the new Adam. She was right about that part. <laughs> but um, when, when she wants to hold Jesus down, this is, in a sense, in, in, a, in a wide sense, you can see this is what Eve wanted to do with the first Adam, to hold him down, to not, not go with and obey the Father, but hold him down to this world like all the other animals, in a sense. Sort of and that's like exactly Saint what Peter. Happened. St. Peter with the, the crucifixion. He wanted to say, no, no, you can't do that. I assume that's kind of what Mary Magdalene was thinking. Maybe. But, yeah, Mary Magdalene didn't understand that Jesus must obey the Father, just like Adam had to obey the Father. But, of course, Eve put a, put a, 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 a kibosh on that. And you can see how Jesus sort of undoes that in this scene, if you will. I see. Yeah, he undoes that. He says, no, I'm going to the Father. I'm obeying the Father. So, so but uh, that's, that's, just, that's just one take on it. Well, that, that, that is very interesting because uh, you see the church fathers talking about mm. uh, Jesus as the new Adam. Yes. But also talking about Mary as the new Eve. Ultimately, and, yes. And, and the things that they do, um, both Jesus and Mary, what they do is they undo the original fall. In all the actions exactly. that they're taking, they're undoing the fall. Exactly. Exactly. I have one last question for you before we wrap up. And that is, the Gospels say that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, saints were seen risen from their tombs in Jerusalem. Do you remember that? that, that yes, passage? I do. It's That's a mystery. That's one, one of the most mysterious passages in the Gospels, that, that saints that had died, people that had died, were now walking around in Jerusalem. What, what, what is your take on that? Well, I, I've looked at this a little bit. I'm not yeah. an expert by any means. Uh, so 
it's a fulfillment of scripture. I don't remember where it's a fulfillment in the Old Testament of scripture, but I do remember reading that that Matthew was looking at something else um, in the Old Testament um, where people would rise from the dead um, at um, in, at the end of times or and so this seems to be a fulfillment of scripture. Now, one thing to understand that Matthew wasn't combing through the Old Testament and making things up. Yeah. Because actually a lot of the things that Matthew pointed to as being fulfilled, yeah. you kind of scratch your head at and you say, that really doesn't kind of fit. Kind of thing. You know, mm -hmm. so my opinion is that this actually did happen. It's not how some scripture scholars would say this is Matthew kind of making up a fulfillment of the scripture. This actually happened and Matthew found the source of this fulfillment and said, aha, this was a fulfillment. But what it means, mm. I think that's really going to have a scratching our heads. Yeah, per perhaps. And this is just off the top of my head. Perhaps it's a, a foretaste like Jesus transfiguration on Mount Tabor was a foretaste of his resurrected state uh, glorified state. perhaps that with uh, those those few saints or how many there were uh, was a foretaste of the future resurrection that is to come like apparitions of some sort um, uh, yeah are, are just giving us a taste of wow people yeah. are actually going to are going to rise from the dead just like Jesus did yeah I think uh, I think that's true um, that makes sense uh, I think especially this this all happened before uh, the descent of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Gives them the courage that they need. I think that this is kind of a, a foretaste of the courage that they would need in the future. Um, this is to, to kind of build up the faith. Um, that, oh, that for, the, for the disciples. Okay. For the yeah. disciples. Um, yeah. So, so that they um, so that they will hold on. And yeah. of course that this is all strengthened by the Holy Spirit directly, but I think we see various inter uh, places where Jesus kind of intercedes. Like the transfiguration is an example where he's trying to prepare them for yeah. the crucifixion. He's giving them a, a kind of like, here's the light at the end of the tunnel uh, kind of thing uh, to, 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 to buttress uh, their faith. So, so, so Jesus allows these experiences for that reason, because now it's up to them after he ascends into heaven. Now it's up to them to spread the faith. And they right. do it. They do it all the way to the point of martyrdom. So they certainly were uh, buttressed in that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think all the apparitions, the church talks about apparitions, and I brought it up. I might as well finish that theme. All these apparitions that we have are really to help us in whatever time or situation that we're in. They're yeah. not really to make any new revelation of any sort, but rather just to kind of confirm people in their faith. Uh, right. and, and, uh, to give guidance, I guess, uh, to a particular time. All right. So on the third day, he rose again, accordance with the scriptures. Last word. Uh, well, I think there, there are so many things that we could look at uh, for in accordance with the scriptures. Yeah. I'd like to just point to one particular thing because it's very shocking to people. And that's Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is definitely about the crucifixion. You, you re, when you first read it, you are shocked by how similar it is to the events in the crucifixion. Right. And then toward the end, it changes its tone entirely. It's yes. not explicit. It doesn't say this is a resurrection, but it, it, everything leads up to that point that this is a death. 
And then all of a sudden you see the person who's being crucified praising God. And how yeah. can he praise God after he's yeah. been killed? And yeah. so I think Psalm 22 is actually pointing to the, 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 the uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Interesting. So for those who don't know, um, Jesus recited the beginning of Psalm 22 on the cross. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me or forsaken me? And by the end of that Psalm, and we don't, by the way, we don't know if Jesus continued that. He could have been reciting the entire Psalm, psalm on the cross for all we know. But right. by, the, by the end of that Psalm, you're saying that he, there, there is hope as, as if the person was risen from the dead. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I think okay. that's what the end of the Psalm points toward. It, or I think that's yeah. a viable interpretation. Amen. Very good. Uh, gosh, I, I, again, the resurrection is everything. It's everything. And uh, we need to continue to, uh, to contemplate it and meditate on it. Without the resurrection, we would not have faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's true. That's true. And our own eternal life. Thank you, Mr. Bob LeBlanc, for joining us here on Beneath the Surface, where faith and reason meet, where truth, life, and love are one. Paul Morano, signing off. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Show number 13. And on the third day, he rose again in, in accordance with the scripture. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next time on Beneath the Surface. God bless. Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree.